I'm Eve Harrow. You are on a One Israel Fund webinar, January 10th, 2022. I'm the Director of Community Development and Tourism. Remember tourism, that, that thing that people used to go visit other countries and come to Israel? Yeah, well, hopefully that'll start up as soon as this last wave is over and the world is a crazy place. But in the meantime, the community development, I have to say, is going beautifully. Lots of parks, mikvah, synagogues, sports fields things that we've been able to build here in Israel with the help of a lot of you over the past year. Can't wait for you all to come and see it for yourselves. One Israel Fund, as you know, for over a quarter of a century, been the premier organization helping to enhance and secure the lives of the Jews living in Judea and Samaria and those who used to live in Gaza. So as, as what we've been doing in this past year, since I can't fill buses with people and take them all around, you all around, uh, of course, we've been doing virtual videos and you can see all of those on our website and this series of webinars where I've been really honored to host some of the leading thinkers and movers and shakers here in Israel. You might have noticed that everybody I interview is in Israel. It's a very important point for me. And I'm really delighted to have on tonight an old friend, and even with that, someone I respect tremendously, Rabbi Dr. Jeffrey Wolf, who has, uh, in addition to being an associate professor at Bar Ilan University, where he does teaches Christ also Christianity and Islam and a whole bunch of things that hopefully have time to share with us tonight. The reason he's on tonight is because I felt it was very important to do a webinar on the whole issue of conversion. It is one of the, it's legislation that's coming up in the Israeli Knesset. There's a lot of misunderstandings about it and it is a tremendously important topic. And, um, and Rabbi Wolf is a judge for halakhic conversion. And I couldn't think of anybody better to illuminate for us some of the issues, some of the challenges, not necessarily having answers, but at least making clear for a lot of us what the issues are. So Rabbi Wolf, thank you so much for joining me here. It's evening thank here in Israel. Thank you for having me, It's a pleasure, always a pleasure. Fun webinar. All right, so, I mean, I know this sounds like a simple question, but, and I mentioned that you're also very familiar with Christianity and Islam. What is the big deal with converting to Judaism? As far as I know, in these other two religions and in a lot of other religions, you take on a set of beliefs, you maybe say a sentence or a statement, and you're in. And in Judaism, it's like this whole years and years long process that for many people ends in not actually becoming Jewish. So can you please explain to us what what conversion is in Judaism and how and has it and has it always been like this or what we're dealing with now, which needs some kind of legislation, is something that's unusual. And, you know, we're dealing with something different in the modern times. Well, wow, that's a tall order, even though. Uh... The you entire discussion <laughs> is predicated on uh, a single paragraph in the Talmud. Um, yeah, there's a lot to unpack. Um, there are a few pieces that we have to put together here. Uh, and let me just at least describe my points of departure. Uh, based on my own personal convictions and on matters of principle, um, the truth of the matter is that as far as Israel is concerned, uh, the only um, mode of conversion which uh, I'm going to discuss is Orthodox conversion. Uh, even though at the moment, conservative reform conversion, I'll talk about that also, has been recognized by the, uh, by the courts, at least for purposes of citizenship. Uh, but let me, let me get back to the basics first and, and try to, to describe uh, how it works. First of all, to join a group, you have to define the group. Uh, Islam and Christianity are religions. Because they're religions, 
basically what needs to happen is that a person goes through whatever initiation that religion requires and you're part of that you're part of that faith now it is a good idea to study that faith before you uh before you join it but uh by and large uh in christianity in its various forms you would get baptized in islam uh males have to be circumcised and you make a declaration in front of a shari court that's uh, muslim law and you become a muslim and you're expected to live according to uh, muslim law uh as with everything else, um, the great um, um, philosopher and history of historian of ideas, uh, Sir Isaiah Berlin from, uh, from, I think it was Cambridge or Oxford, I don't remember anymore now, uh, used to say Jews are like everybody, Oxford, Jews are like everybody else, only more so. So the more so in this case is that um, Judaism, to the best of my knowledge, is the only religious phenomenon which is both national and ethnic on the one hand and is uh, a religion on the other in other words it is the faith of a specific community uh which defines the community but which uh and 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 which is defined by the terms of of the covenant that is contained in the bible between uh, between God and uh, between God and Israel, that's the reason why Jew, Jews generally are not um, are not missionaries. For the simple reason yeah. that the uh, the Torah does not recommend to require that everyone in the world become uh, become right. Jewish. Uh, there are the seven Noahide laws, which are the basic rules of humanity and morality, which were also, according to Jewish tradition, revealed at Sinai. And those are sufficient for um, non-Jews to be saved or to have a place in the world to come. Uh, pretty much it's unanimously accepted that um, moral, it's 90-95% that um, that Christianity and Islam fit those criteria. So since they're already taken care of, there's no reason to make someone to, or push someone to become uh, to become Jewish. So that's number one. Number two, um, in order to join the Jewish people, therefore, there, it's a two, it's a it's a dual commitment. It's a join. You're joining a people and you are joining a religion, but the two are totally interspersed and in, inseparably so. Even though. Uh, in the past, other people have tried have tried to separate them. Formally, all that's required what's required is that uh, a person, uh, if you're a male, you have to be uh, circumcised. Uh, if male and male and uh, males and females are have to go to immerse themselves in a ritualarium in a in a kosher mikvah, which is mm -hmm. from which the idea of baptism, by the way, came. Right. Certainly, full body baptism, not the way that mm -hmm. sort of became extenuated later in the other churches, some of the churches. And you have to, and the third part, and this is the part which is sticky, means that you also have to do, you have to accept the burden or the yoke of the commandments, Kabbalat Old Mitzvot. Now, Kabbalah, which basically means if you're joining the Jewish polity, you have to abide, you have to agree to abide by the rules, uh, which norm, which up until the 18th century was never really an issue because the only, the only real kind of Judaism that there was, was what we would call today orthodox or um, traditional judaism where mm -hmm. you went to live with the jewish community and you uh, and you joined from the outside but you became a member of the community and you observed all the commandments and there was nothing more to say about it in fact well, like you kept kosher you kept you shabbat kept kosher, you, you didn't work on the holidays on Pesach, right. right you when you right. if you it, no and also if you if you were in business and you wanted to uh, adjudicate some kind of a claim you went to a beit din you went to a rabbinic court you lived your right. life 
as part of the Jewish community. Judaism is an all uh, inclusive uh, system, as, as opposed to Christianity, by the way, and similar to Islam. Judaism, in a traditional in its traditional uh, iteration, includes every single part of human life. It, 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 you know, it's not it's not just it's not just ritual. It's also personal comportment. It's also hygiene. It's also business. It's also marriage. It's all kinds of other all kinds of things. Um, so that was never a problem. In fact, one of the ironies is that because it was so obvious that people would join the Jewish community and would just do what everybody else did, which meant keeping the commandments. It really never says anywhere in the Jewish code, in the codes of Jewish law, that you have to do that for the simple reason that it was given. And there is a rule in judicial uh, literature that that which goes without saying usually does. Um, what right? So then, so so, and that's and that's what and that was the situation up until say the 18th century. Um, there wasn't a huge amount of uh, conversion of non-Jews to Judaism during that time for the simple reason that uh, mo- almost all Jews lived under either Islam or Christianity, and it was a capital crime for a Muslim or a Jew or a Christian to convert to Judaism because that, from their perspective, meant uh, abandoning the truth. So, in fact, if you look at some uh, old versions of the Code of Jewish Law, the Shulchan Aruch, you'll see that there all the rules of conversion are there, but there's like a little asterisk at the bottom. It says, "But we don't do this because the government says it's illegal." Okay. Come the 18th century, come the 18th century, things change. Uh, once the 18th century came, especially in Europe, not uh, they, what happened in uh, Muslim countries is a different story. Um, Jews were emancipated; they no longer had to live on their own. The separate Jewish communities were dissolved, and uh, all of a sudden the possibility arose that um, you could actually be a Jew and not live in a Jewish community. You could be a Jew and be what we call a secular Jew and not and not uh, and not observe the commandments. Now that does not make you a non-Jew. In okay. fact, there is not there is nothing on no power on earth to un-Jew a person. A person who was born Jewish or converts. Uh, and or converts uh, correct, you know, properly uh, right. can never be their their status as being Jewish can never be undone. What happened? The problem is that a lot of these people, um, when they started leaving the Jewish community, they still felt a very strong tie to their families, to the Jewish people. They mm-hmm. started defining themselves as national Jews or as lapsed Jews, whatever the case might be. But they married people that weren't Jewish. Now this became especially uh, tricky when men married non-Jewish women for the simple reason that Judaism, Jewish status is determined, and this is tr- this has been this case, documentedly the case for at least 2,500 years. I think it goes further, but that's another, another story. Excuse me. So you're talking about like the beginning of the second temple period around then. Right, because, exactly. You know, I mean, that's where you have documentation. Biblically, biblically, you look at the tribes and most of the brothers, for example, and married, you know, local women, I mean, not Jewish women, but that was way, way back. And so for 2,500 years- I, I, I'll tell you something else though. I'm not, I'm not even convinced. I mean, I, That's when, in, the, in the ancient period, if you went from one tribe to another, you went from one nation to another, one thing you did is that you changed, you adapted to whatever you're, say you're a woman, you're, you're, you're a, um, you can't be an Ammonite because you can't marry them. You're, you're from, I don't know, some, some, some Arab tribe in, in Syria right. in, the time of, in the time of the uh, David's kingdom. And you go and you marry a guy who lives in northern Israel and uh, whatever. So it's you very take his God along with right. his no, exactly. But when you accept his God, that means you have to get right. rid of your gods. You now, you right. would that you will end up doing whatever they do. 
right? So I'm not, so, you know, so I, I right. wouldn't. It's a whole um, different world. It's, yeah. a, it's a different world. But the idea that, the, the idea that, um, that there was no transition from the outside world into the Jewish world, I, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not convinced. In any case, certainly documented we have from the Second Temple period. Um, and we have the famous line in the book of Ruth, you know, Correct. your nation Correct. is my nation, your God is my God. Correct. And Correct. that ends the whole Notice, business. however, that nation comes before before religion there. Yes. You join the group and then you have, have, to keep, have to keep the mitzvah. Yeah. So what ends up happening is, so the rule was, if you were if you're the child of a Jewish mother uh, and or you were converted, then you were Jewish and that's it. There's no way to undo that. But if you if it's a Jewish guy who was in Germany or was in France and he's married and he marries a non-Jewish woman, then his children are not Jewish. And the Jewish, until relatively recently, the uh, Jewish taboo, against intermarriage was incredibly profound for self-preservation because of basic tribal uh, tribal um, and national uh, loyalty, uh, whatever the case uh, might be. And uh, therefore, it was only then that the question came up, okay, uh, can we convert this woman, even though she's not going to, I mean, it doesn't have to be women, I mean, also, but most of the cases were women, uh, even though she's not going to be observing because the husband's not, not observing, she's not keeping the laws. So is there such a thing as a conversion where there is less than 100% compliance with uh, or acceptance of the law? And here- or She wants to join the people, but not necessarily the religious. This is, or, or no, or even accepting and, re and saying, yes, I, I agree that being Jewish means right. keeping the law, but I'm not going to be, I'm going to be bad Jew, I mean, if you want mm -hmm. to put it that way. Right. So this starts a whole, this started a whole- um, this started a whole discussion with a very broad range of opinions that were, uh, sure. that were uh, of course, you know, to, to do, to, to, <laughs> that's one thing that never changes, right? The practice right. is to disagree. Um, and so you have a, a fairly broad, uh, very, actually a very broad um, range of opinions uh, on this specific, uh, on this specific uh, issue. It's what, what would you require beyond the formal act of, say, circumcision or immersion and, and a formal declaration right. in front of rabbinical court, what is required? So here what you are the red a, lines? What are the red lines? Not even keeping what Shabbat, whatever. Okay. Right. What are the minimum? There are the, some pay, some, some, say, some, some argue, some are minimalists and others say, no, if you get up and you say you're going to keep the commandments and you recognize them, if they're binding, but you'd have no intention to do so, that that's fraud and that the entire action is invalid. Those are the two. Those mm -hmm. are the two. Got all kinds of variations uh, in the uh, in the. And just to throw into the mix, you don't have to answer it now, but maybe keep it in mind for later. Is the frustration of converts who say, you know, I've got to do like all this stuff, and then there's somebody who was born of a Jewish mother, and he considers himself fully Jewish, and you know, he was eating bacon and eggs for breakfast and and flying right. on Shabbat, and how how is that fair? Okay, so I don't know about fair. Uh, it make, however, on the other hand, it makes it there. Uh, there is precedent. The, I don't know how, how how well this is going to go down, but the usual comparison that is made is um, um, the usual comparison that's made is to uh, naturalization. Uh, a person can be born in the United States and not know anything. I mean, you can be one. I, I saw. I did, my kids showed me this. I could not believe it. They asked a uh, college graduate in uh, someplace in, like, someplace in some major city in the United States. They asked him who fought at the, at the Battle of Gettysburg. And the answer of this college graduate was the Getty people. Um, so, oh. you know, you could, you could be born in the United States and be a total ignoramus. 
when it comes to when it comes to American history, and you're an American citizen, you with all the rights thereof. Whereas, whereas if you come and you I, I, and, and you immigrate legally and you're and you're naturalized, I mean, you have to learn um, you have to learn uh, American history and civics, and you have to be able to. Re- I mean, I don't know if this is still true, but you have yeah, to be able to recite the, the 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 preamble of the Declaration of Independence and the preamble of the Constitution. You have to know the difference between the three parts, the three uh, sections of government, and uh, and and all kinds of other stuff. Because when you're joining something, the requirements are usually higher than those that are required of someone who is uh, who is always born there. Is it fair? I don't know. If fair is the uh, is the issue. Certainly, it's like, you know, there's an element of there is definitely an element of um, truth and in marketing involved because before you let a person, before you end to have a person join, it's not just a question of testing whether they're worthy. Uh, you, you, they should know what they're getting themselves into. I mean, that's only yeah. that is only fair. Um, uh, and in addition, if if you're if you are um, joining the Jewish people, which we determine, which we claimed, which we see as a privilege, then then it's also a question of you know it shouldn't be easy it should be something which is uh yeah people are born in that's true okay that's the, that's 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 the way life works and, and I, mm-hmm. I you know any anybody who actually has changed uh changed status or changed class or changed or or change or changed social uh, social um a social group knows that that's exactly mm-hmm. what you have to go through and 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 they, if anything Jude, the torah is something which is really pragmatic and takes a look at how people act and uh, tries to work yes. with uh, with the with the with the with the raw material that it has. So you say that it shouldn't be easy, but there's a far cry between not being easy and the situation that we find ourselves in now, where we hear story after story about people who really wanted to convert and wanted to keep all the mitzvot. They weren't just going yeah. through in order to marry someone. They really wanted to become Jewish, and it took them years, or they were never able to do it, or there was one roadblock after the other. So how did we get from there to there? Um, it depends on where I'm going to concentrate on, uh, I'm going to concentrate on Israel because the, because the United yes. States is a whole other, uh, North America. No, because the topic of this conversation uh, is the conversion law that's going through the Knesset now. Number one, um, the, um, conversion was, it was always on the, on the agenda here, but it was never a major issue because it was never a very large non-Jewish population that was was a candidate for conversion until the mass um, and there were a few blips on on the screen but until the mass uh immigration the mass aliyah of the jews who were uh, who left russia after the collapse of the uh, soviet union which itself was a uh, was a bit of a miracle i I've, I've students didn't know that there was a soviet union but that's you know that's because i'm old uh or they're young or something um the um but it really wasn't it wasn't as much on the agenda number one uh, number two, the uh, the rabbinate in the uh, following Ottoman law, Israel. Okay, let's do it this way. Israel, to a significant degree, is uh, is 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 improvised. It's been improvised from day one. One of the things that we did in 1948 was just continue everything. You know what? I'll tell you. When after everybody sat down and signed the Declaration of Independence on Friday afternoon, May 14th, 1948. Ben Gurion got up and he said, "Everything stays the way it stays, with all the laws of the mandate and laws the laws of the Turks who lived before before here, except for two things. First of all, anybody who wants to come to Israel can come. The, the white British White Paper of 1939, which banned Jewish immigration to Israel, is annulled, and I forget or something was something else, and that's it. 
And that was the point of departure. So as a result of this status quo, everything uh, stays the same. Uh, many laws in Israel are still laws from the British mandate. Yeah. Uh, many uh, forms that we fill out are still from the British mandate. And uh, many and the laws uh, and, and the real estate laws go back to the Ottoman, the Ottoman Empire. The Ottomans let were thrown out of uh, Palestine or thrown out of uh, southern Syria in 1917. And yet, you know, a lot of the rules of the uh, a lot of the rules are still uh, Ottoman. One of the things we inherited from the Ottomans was that every single um, there was under the Ottomans, there was no under Islam in general, there was no secular anything. So all religious um, groups were uh, subject to the authority of their, the heads of their religious communities. So all the different church, Christian churches under this under the patriarch or this patriarch, there were the, right. the, the whole story. There were many. Yeah. Uh, the uh, is the Islamic authorities uh, are the uh, are the address for Muslims and the rabbinate for uh, for Jews. Now, the rabbi, the only form of Judaism that was here in all the years was Orthodox Judaism of a significantly conservative bent, small c. Uh, probably that is, I think that's to a large degree as a result of the fact that uh, the people who, um, the, the men who uh, formed the, uh, the rabbinate uh, did, not, um, did not go through the crucible of, uh, of America and did not have a uh, more modern Orthodox, if you want to call it Yeshiva University kind of uh, outlook. They were what you would call more Haredi or more traditionalist oriented, even mm -hmm. though they were Zionist, um, were tended to be somewhat more on the conservative side, small c. Um, that situation has got the, but nevertheless, uh, the first few generations of chief rabbis and those that uh, that um, that manned the rabbinate um, uh, up until the uh, early nineties uh, were tended to have uh, give a little bit more give and, and a little bit more aware of the outside world and and a little bit less conservative. In nineteen in the nineteen nineties, uh, Yitzhak Rabin, when he was elected. Uh, when he was elected uh, to be the prime minister in 1992, effectively handed over the entire um, rabbinic establishment to the um, ultra-Orthodox Sephardic party Shas, and uh, by extension to, um, to the ultra-Orthodox uh, uh, rabbinate in, uh, in, uh, in B'nai Brak and elsewhere, uh, as sort of this idea that we'll give them this and they will give us the Oslo Accords and they will support us for the uh, peace plan and so on and so forth. So that there, so now the, the ultra-Orthodox community is, was founded as a reaction against modernity. So they have a built-in philosophy of law, which is um, very much, um, it, 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 it's, 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 I like the word reactionary. You know, there's a very, very strict. There's always concern that something's going to go. It's something that said that that things will be undermined, that religion will be undermined by modernity. Uh, considering what the, the kinds of things that have been going on in the last twenty years in uh, in the West, uh, a lot of their concerns have not pr have proven to be certainly uh, in place. Yeah. Uh, and this has led to a situation in which the um, in which the uh, the rabbinate is has become has become even more restrictive when it comes to conversion than uh, than in fact um than in fact it was uh, even previously when it was fairly you know fairly 
fairly strict anyways. Uh, that is let now when you have a small population of individuals who want to convert, then, uh, you know, then you can, then you can, you can, you can play with it. When you're talking about a massive, you're talking about hundreds of million, a million Russians made Aliyah, of which a third of them were technically not Jewish because they were um, the children of non-Jew, they were children of Jewish men and Russian women. <laughs> and um, let me just interject and explain that the law of return it's kind of the back end of what the Nazis had done, meaning you were considered a Jew by the Nazis if you just had one Jewish grandparent. And so you could make Aliyah, you could move to Israel if you had just one Jewish grandparent. But if it was on the father's side, so you, for Aliyah reasons, for moving to Israel reasons, you can come, but you're halachically not Jewish. And here is the issue that is, has really brought us to where we are today. And right around that same 1990s, 1991, it all comes together. So, so, so what ends up happening as a result is that, so you have these people, you have these people who are, you know, who are released from Russia and yeah. um, they're, they don't know anything about Judaism because they were persecuted as Jews in Russia. Um, and they come here and they are, um, they become Israeli and uh, they uh, become part of society. And uh, then they want to get married to a whole, you know, to a person who's, who is actually formerly Jewish Mm-hmm. And um, and they can't because there is no civil there's no civil marriage in Israel. But that's 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 only the beginning, because there's a broader issue. And I, I have to get back to your question about why. What about people that want to convert? Uh, there's a broader issue, and I think this is the piece which is uh, is really really critical. Uh, I started this uh, discussion by mentioning the fact that uh, Judaism is a combination of national identity and religion, which are inter, 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 intertwined. Uh, intricate, intricate, totally intricately, uh, inextric- inextricably. Sorry. Um, one of the most important elements that maintains the state of Israel is its the solidity and the and the strength of its tribal identity. I can't put it in, I don't want to put it any other way. In other words, yes, we fight all the time over all kinds of issues, but at the end of the day, everybody everybody can ostensibly marry everybody else. And because everybody ostensibly is Jewish, you can then within the context of everyone accepting your own status as a full, you know, full member of the group, you want to become more religious, you want to be less religious, you can swing back and forth. The the spectrum can uh, can exist uh, uh, can ex- can exist. So you know, as you have maximum self room for self um, for self expression and self identification, but at the end of the day, we're all you know we're all, there's one of the as a song that was popular in the sixties was concerned Pulanu Yehudim, everybody's Jewish. Um, if we get to a st- where the the part of the challenge. And part of the existential challenge, which is which is posed by this increasingly large population of people who are Israelis and consider themselves Jews and are considered by themselves by others to be Jews, mm-hmm. um, who who you know who aren't technically Jewish, is that you will get increasing population where half the popula where part of the population actually more than half will not marry or cannot marry the other people. And that is a very, very dangerous situation, not just for the continuity of the Jewish people, but for the physical safety uh, and morale of the state of Israel, because we're still faced by existential threats from all over the place. 
Uh, it's also a matter of personal tragedy in a lot of cases because people don't know. And they, you know, and they, they, and, and, and there are those who would like to convert or convert their children, whatever the case might be, and end and the problem there. Uh, unless the idea is to make conversion, which has a, with integrity, uh, available to as many people who want it as possible for their own sakes and also for that, that of their children. Because you know what, uh, even and for the sake of the, um, the 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 solidarity of the Jewish of the of the, of the Jewish solidarity of the state of Israel. Now, as it happens, as it happens, these the, over the course of the past twenty five years, um, the country has become incre- Israel, which uh, which had gone through a period of time in which it was less and less and less and less Jewish. Over the last twenty five years, has become increasingly and more profoundly traditional. Uh, not orthodox yet, right. or but that's the direction that they seems to be going. But certainly profoundly traditional. Um, it's it's you see it everywhere from from popular culture where a uh, where a black kippah wearing uh, singer will have his song named Misha Rivo will have his song sung on the set really uber secular uh, army radio, and that's music. I think is where it's really standing out. In music and art, music. Of- Rock music, music set to to Correct. psalms, yeah. Correct, amazing, yeah. And you also find, and but it it it, it comes up in a lot of other in a lot of, a lot of places. Mm-hmm. There is more. There are more informal Jewish study groups going on yeah. in the state of Israel today, not under Orthodox auspices, than at any other time in its history. So on the one hand, you have that happening. On the other hand, you have this population, which effectively, because of the because of the very um, of the uh, sort of very uh, suspicious or 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 cautious, let's call it, say cautious, cautious attitude of the of the religious authorities. If, even if they want to become, you know, convert, they can't because the the kinds of standards that are set, which I think are really beyond what are, what is what is required, even according to the more conservative interpretations, uh, can't happen. Um, okay. And and. And I understand why I understand why rabbis would be cautious because, as I said, if a there's this idea that if a, if you're if you're less than sincere in your acceptance of the commandments, then then that's a fraud. So fraud never works. On the other hand, um, you know, is there room for is there room for individual judgment on the part of on the part of the courts? And this is where we get to the present law. Um, throughout the throughout the ages. Um, Simply by by for for reasons of, of uh, necessity, uh, every rabbinic court was autonomous. The uh, you assume that the rabbi that you hired for your city or whoever lived in your city served at the head of your court, who had the proper education, he had the proper the degree of piety and uh, fear of heaven and integrity, and uh, whatever the court decided, the court decided. Uh, and they would judge based on what they saw and what the, how they knew. Uh, it is in all cases. I'm not just talking about conversion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the 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 pattern always was this is throughout the both the Muslim world and the Christian world that rabbis uh, that the local rabbi was the authority. If there was some kind of a strange situation or some some egregious error, so you could appeal to a major authority outside the town. But usually, uh, it was things were done locally, and that was the pro- considered proper. And there was mutual respect, though, between like someone there was, and there was always Antwerp and to Berlin. There was a tradition of collegiality. 
Mm-hmm. Now, again, I, I can, you can, I, I don't know who, who's, I don't know who's uh, of our, oh, wow, 120 people. Of the 120 people watching, I don't I'm know. I'm not stream. We're closing it now. Yeah. Um, I could, you know, I, I can, I, the, my shelves here, especially this shelf here, is full of examples of cases where they appeal to other rabbis out of town and so on, but those are the exceptions that only confirm them. Um, the, um, for the first, this is the first time that there's been a, a centralized rabbinate uh since ancient times and as with all centralized anything bureaucracy gets in the way and politics gets in the way and jobs get in the way and uh and the more centralized the um the uh the authority the uh, the more out of touch you are with the with the local with the situation on the ground now in the 19th uh, in the 1960s and 70s and 80s Conversion was made available by the local city rabbi who would appoint out he had a court and they would do conversion. That was it. And in fact, some of the really major rabbinic religious Zionist rabbinic figures in the rabbinate endorsed exactly precisely this um, uh, this um, this. Uh, this model. mode of operation right, right. okay in the 90s um the, all of that was taken away from the local rabbis and it, be, it was put in the hands of a centralized uh authority which tries to do its best i'm certainly not i'm not throwing stones but it you know depending on who you have and you have prof- these are professionals who don't meet don't follow and don't meet the, the candidates they see them only when they appear before them um there are some wonderful people and then you have some bureaucrats i mean there's all kinds of individuals and there's been created a very very serious logjam in terms of uh in terms of people even the people who want to convert um so this so in order to try to break the logjam uh inter alia uh the it's been this, this he's not the first one this has been suggested a few times uh, the late the former um Justice, no, justice back, way back, right. Two justice ministers in a row, actually, not in a row, but two justice major justice ministers actually uh, suggested this. Uh, uh, Yaakov Neman, uh, and right. on the one hand, and Moshe Nisim on the other, whose father himself was chief rabbi, suggested that, among other things, that um, you know, it's only responsible to put things back in the hands of the local rabbis who know the people, and this will break the logjam, and they can decide based on what they see and what they know what what are the what are the standards or what are the minima and what and and who are the you know who's sincere and who's not sincere certainly it'll make things a lot more efficient and 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 there is no there is no there's no there's no commandment to to once you accept a person for conversion and you've decided that they're sincere to make their lives uh you know to make to make their lives a long uh, drawn out uh, drawn out process right. You know, aside from learning the basics of what you're supposed to do when you're a Jew, mm-hmm. um, this was actually also this model was also endorsed by one of the leading uh, halachic lights, Jewish legal lights of um, of the state of Israel, whose name was Rabbi Nachum Eliezer Rabinovich Zichron um, Levracha, who was the he was on the one hand a yeshiva head, which would have made him more of a um, of a theoretician, but he had come to Israel in the '80s. After excuse me, after twenty years uh, in um, as a as a the head of a the has a head the head of in the field uh, in Texas and in Carolina, and he was the assistant uh, head of the court in Toronto, where I, um, which was a major Jewish community. Um, 
And he also came out very strongly in, in, in favor of this model of returning things to the, uh, to mm -hmm. the, to the, uh, to the city heads. And that is exactly, that is exactly the pointed bar in this legislation, which sounds like it's a no brainer, but at that point, but given this, given the, given the, um, given the structure of things today, uh, it's not a no brainer because a, there is a general rule in, uh, in government that if authority has been, or power is given to an authority, they'll fight like hell to have it, uh, to have it read, yeah. not to have it taken away. Number one. Uh, number two, um, this, the, the, culture or the atmosphere of concern or fear of uh, malfeasance or being too easy or too whatever um, has led um, senior members of the established rabbinate to actually besmirch uh, local rabbis who were appointed by them in cities in the state of Israel that they're going to, they're going to, I don't know what they're going to do. Um, and uh, that's number, that's the consideration number two. Number three is uh, and I don't want to get into the uh, into the into the into the deeper politics here, but uh, a lot of people who uh, are um, very very sharp opponents of the present Prime Minister Naftali Bennett, um, their attitude basically is anything he does is bad. So therefore, it must be that every that the, whatever whatever Matan Kahana, the Minister of Religion, is trying to do must be bad. Well, the truth of the matter is that, it, in my personal opinion, I think what Matan Kahana is doing is absolutely uh, right on, and I'm and and that I have a lot of uh, uh, reason reason to think so. But a lot of the um, a lot that it's development of a lot of heat made into a lot of uh, and 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 engendered a lot of hysteria and a lot of actually fake news uh, yes. because. It's become a political football when we're talking about an existential issue, which is deeply regrettable. And, and just because I don't mind jumping into it, um, there are certain people who are going to vote. Religious Minister Matan Kahana, who himself is not a rabbi, and he took this job to, to move forward certain reforms in Israel. The conversion is one of them. The kashrut changing how kosher stamps of approval are given uh, in businesses. That's already on its way, and it's caused a lot Hard of issues. It's already in place. It already started. Um, we'll see what happens. But one of the things that I mean, I mentioned to you before we were speaking before the webinar. I was reading in Makori Shon on Shabbat. It's the one of the major Hebrew papers here, at least one of the major Hebrew papers that I can stomach reading. And um, there was an article about how he actually sat and made up this legislation. He's not a rabbi, and he knows he's not a rabbi with Rav Druckmann, who is one of the most esteemed rabbis, definitely in the national religious, if you will, modern Orthodox circles here in Israel, um, not the Haredi camp. And, but when it came, there are rabbis from the ultra-Orthodox community who signed a letter against this legislation, and he actually signed that letter. So let me, let me uh, comment, let me speak to Please that. comment, because from what I was reading, this was a big blow to Matan Kahan, as you said, there's certain rabbis who are coming against rabbis that they actually appointed. And here, he, he you know, this was a big step backwards for here. Let so maybe me, let me, let me there's, there's a few issues case. that come up here. Number one, the legislation, look, the legislation isn't written yet. I mean, they're, middle, they're in the middle of formulating it. So all there's a lot of leaks in the press about, oh, they're going to do this and they're going to do that. But it hasn't been written yet. So I don't know where they get the information. Um, what, Matan Kahana, one of the great things about Matan Kahana is, and I, I have a lot of admiration. I, I mean, I know him slightly, uh, and I've discussed this issue with him. Um, 
is he knows he's not a rabbi, which is actually a very good thing. Having been a congregational rabbi myself, I know uh, I know how many times um, really well-meaning lay people would come up to me and say, you know, my rabbi when I was a kid did this, and they know better. So you know, so yeah, well, he had tried to be nice, but uh, so Matan Kahana knows he's not a rabbi and doesn't pretend. The legislation which is being uh, which is which is being formulated as we speak um, is purely administrative. It has n- takes no stand and should properly so takes no stand on any qualitative Jewish religious or legal issue. What are the criteria? What kind of study? What, what kind of declaration? What kind of follow up? All of that stuff. None of that. It's all about it's all about empower returning the authority to convene courts for conversion to city rabbis who have to pass tests i get news for you the <laughs> the who have to pass tests and also tests of character that uh would daunt any 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 american orthodox rabbi at all okay uh so that's so that's that's number one that's the whole that's the whole business and that's in fact what he uh settled with rabbi Druckmann. Now, Rabbi Chaim Druckmann, who um, I'm proud to say an old friend of the family, um, Rabbi Chaim Druckmann what is the senior, um, both senior in terms of quality and also in terms of he's quite, quite elderly. Um, Rabbi Chaim Druckmann is the uh, really the senior religious Zionist rabbi. He's that of a yeshiva in, uh, in the Merkaz Shapiro. Uh, past, he was a former member of Knesset. Uh, and, and really, uh, the, the, the senior the, the senior figure on the on the yeah. on the scene, he himself was in charge of the conversion authority. I don't remember how many years, but certainly uh, for a good number of years. And he oversaw um, the uh, conversion or the regularization and standardization of the status of many Ethiopian Jews who made Aliyah, uh, of whom there was some question of whether they were born Jewish or not. And um, he himself suffered from a vicious, virulent attack by a, um, an ultra-Orthodox uh, member of the Supreme Rabbinic Court, which led to an outcry, um, which led to an outcry uh, from all over the country. And in the end, uh, he, he, was, he was vindicated. Uh, so he knows what this is like. Uh, so it's not a surprise at all that he would have helped uh, Minister Kahana in formulating the uh, legislation. On the other hand, and this is where the other piece comes in, uh, you know, the, oh. the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Um, if we, so a word about this, about the, about the chief rabbinate. The pers- the, there was, of course, there was always in Israel, under the, at least under the Ottomans, a, what was called a Chacham Bashi, a chief rabbi, who was known, the one in Israel was known as the Rishon Lezion, the first, the, the primus, Primus among well, the, the first party one chief all rabbi. Of people mm-hmm. in Zion, not Zionist, but in Zion and right, right. um, the British, um, with the support of uh, broad sectors of the uh, of the certainly of the of the non-Orthodox, but certainly the Orthodox community as well, except for the those who were sort of anti-rejectionist, um, brought in a unique individual, uh, Rabbi Abraham Isaac Cohen Cook to be the first Ashkenazic uh, chief rabbi who would serve next to, you know, the, to the side of the, uh, of the Sephardic uh, person, Rabbi Yaakov Mer at the time, who, uh, whose position had been in, in there since, you know, whenever. Uh, 
since forever. Now, Rav Cook is the revered, is it even the word? It was the founding formative figure of the, what's today the dominant school of religious Zionism. He, everything he said, everything his writings, I mean, he was a person of, of, of incredible intellect and vision and, and spiritual breadth and halal and legal. I mean, he was one of these, he was a phenomenon. Yeah. Um, and he, but his figure, uh, his figure, his persona, uh, it just is everywhere in terms of the, uh, in terms of the religious Zionist community to the extent that in, um, in Israel, if you say Harav, the rabbi, without mentioning anybody else, the, con- the, uh, the reference is always, always to Rav Cook, as if he were still here. Uh, I, find it very, I find it a little bit, not disconcerting, but it's always confusing because uh, I had the uh, privilege of being a, a disciple of Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik, Zechert Tzadik Lebracha, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, we called Rabbi Soloveitchik the Rav. So... Um, so when when now at least we've made it we've, we've made enough impact so when i say the rub they i say which rub so okay that's gone someplace in any event rub cook had a very exalted and and electrifying vision of what this of the religious and mystical uh or the religious states the transcendent uh religious significance of the state of israel he uh, envisioned the state of Israel as part of the uh, of an of an unimpeded and irreversible process of redemption, which will bring us into the messianic age. And a significant part of that vision is the chief rabbinate, which will spread Torah and Judaism and spirituality, in, which will be in, which will it will infuse the state of Israel with all that is good and everything that is divine. Uh, to the extent that I, if I don't remember the exact phrase, but he said something like it's the, 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 the seat or the, uh, it's a landing, it's a land, sort of a landing pad for God's uh, holy presence in the world. That, that vision of the chief rabbinate and of its, and of its um, vitality and of its centrality is still very much part of the, um, the, of the of the religious Zionist world, especially the more conservative part of the religious Zionist world. And I mentioned before that there was never any modern orthodoxy that developed in Israel. That's true. Um, but over the past, say, 20, 30 years, um, there has been more of a um, sort of a cleavage within the religious Zionist world between those who are fundamentally ultra-Orthodox but Zionist and those who are much more open to the outside world. Each group has its own Problematics, but the but the most virulent and the most uh, vocal opposition to uh, to, to Minister Kahana's uh, opposition here comes from that segment, not just because of the of the Jewish legal concerns, but because it will, by definition, dilute the authority of the of the chief rabbinate, and therefore will perhaps impede the redemption. Um, I I, th- I mean, those of us who are in favor. Uh, I, I see the chief rabbinate as an as, as important tool, but I don't I don't I don't. It means ensure, to I, an end, I it's not the only a, the only the only institution that I know that has inherent sanctity is the temple and hasn't been built yet. Right. Um, and so you know that's part that's a big part of um, that's a big part of uh, of, of the opposition. Mm-hmm. So you have, an, have a strong ideological uh, opposition here, and uh, unfortunately, it's it's being uh, played out on the backs of. Uh, backs of people who might want who might want to convert and i shall have to admit that you know because a lot of the former Soviet jews from the former Soviet union came here and 
a lot of them, according to a lot of reports, were willing to go through conversion 30 years ago, but they discovered they could come here and live here and go to the army and become Israelis like everybody else. And uh, so they didn't, you know, didn't feel that they did the need. Now we, mm-hmm. we might have missed the boat, but at least um, we can try to, we can try to, um, try to try to mend as much of the problem as uh, uh, or the challenge, I should say, as. Uh, so I think we'd be remiss in not mentioning that at the same time that this is going on, there are other movements to pass, if I'm not mistaken, different kinds of conversion laws by people who are not as, how shall I say, halachically inclined as Matan Kahana, who, while he's not a rabbi, definitely considers himself, you know, an Orthodox uh, devout Jew. Okay, so- um, and you have that with Rav- Rabbi Kariv, who's a reform rabbi, now a member of Knesset as well, and a Victor Lieberman, who is very much part of that Russian aliyah, and staunchly, I, I wouldn't even say secular, but I would even go as far as to say anti-religious in many ways. Despite the fact that his mother, his wife and all of his children are yes. Sabbath observers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, but anyhow, so so it's not like if this falls from Matan Kahana, so we just go back to the way that it was. I mean, there's other things that are being pushed through that for some people, I think myself included, and, and I don't know, maybe you, it's like this might not be ideal, but the alternative is much worse. Right. So that's so I so I personally um, look at I the um, conservative and reform conversion are have been pre, are have been recognized in Israel, whether it's done outside of Israel or inside of Israel, uh, by the Supreme Court for purposes of uh, Aliyah of the uh, Law of Return. Um, I, though, whereas I do not believe in religious coercion, uh, I oppose that move as well. Like I, as just as I oppose the, the batting down the hatches among, uh, in certain sectors of the rabbinic world for the exact same reason I said before that, that, that the only, let me put it this way. And, and I'm not going to even appeal to, uh, to a rabbi here. The, one of the greatest Jewish historians of the previous generation, I guess I'm his spiritual grandson, because my teacher was his student. Uh, his name was Professor Yaakov Katz, rector of the Hebrew University, really, by all accounts, considered to be the, the really great leading Jewish historian of, the pre- of a generation and a half ago, um, used to, has written and has said on more than one occasion, had said, well, he passed away, but on more than one occasion, that there, no, that the Jewish people does not undergo schism fatal schism because of disagreements about ritual observance. Jews don't split over what you can eat or whether there should be Shabbat or whether you can eat, uh, you eat whether you have to eat, whether you eat matzah on Pesach, none of that. There is only one thing that will split the Jewish people in half irreparably, and that is the question of who is a Jew. In other words, are you recognized by the Jewish polity as Jewish or not? And that has happened over and over and over again in Jewish history. Large sectors of the Jewish people end up breaking off and disappearing because based on this. Now, it might not happen overnight. It might take 100 years. It may take 200 years, but they're gone. One classic example is the Karaites. In, this, in the 8th century, there was a huge fight 
that broke out throughout the Jewish world over whether we should whether um, Judaism should be determined or Jewish practice should be determined by a close reading of the Bible only, or whether the uh, oral tradition, which has been dated, which dates back whenever in the Talmud, is the criterion. There was at one time a fully 40, perhaps even 50% of the Jews in the world were Karaites. They ended up today, there were maybe a few thousand in the world. There's they are not among other very places. Small, it's a very small yes. number. Yes. Um, most of them are not are no longer no, no longer Jews, and mm. they're no longer Jews for one reason. They're no longer Jews for because they did not follow the matrilineal principle of a mother, you know, Jewish mother, or and their obviously their conversion was not acceptable because they didn't recommend uh, recognize the other law. Those Karaites that say Karaites. All right, so they're Karaites. Everybody else got lost. Similarly, in the at the time of the destruction of the temple, there were the uh, many historians based on a uh, actually a Greek historian, claim, a, a Christian a, a, a Christian historian writing in Greek, claim that there were eight million. The ten percent of the free men in the free people in the Roman Empire were Jewish, meaning about eight million people. If you add the Jews of Babylonia, maybe you get to nine or ten. Um, fully. Fully seven eighths of them disappeared. Why? For the same reason, because they didn't. Uh, because they they decided that uh, they didn't they didn't keep to these uh, to these lines of identity. Uh, they can see, you know, it's uh, my friend uh, Simcha Golden, who's a professor at uh, at Tel Aviv University. Um, in his first book, uh, the subtitle was um, the, "The Enigma of Jewish Survival." Yeah, that's exactly what it is because we've gone up and down and up and down and up and down in terms of numbers. But this is the one thing which causes irreparable schism, because once a, once a, Jewish, once a Jewish man marries a non-Jewish woman and has a non-Jewish child, he'll love the child and whatever that child is not Jewish. And, and you can't, and so yes, other movements will say, other movements will say, no, we recognize the child as Jewish. That may be, but A, um, we don't know what the long-term uh, implications of that are, and then based on the Pew studies, it's not uh, it's not happy. Number right. two, the overwhelming from a, from a purely um, democratic point of view, the overwhelming majority of the Jews of the land of Israel, whether they the state of Israel, whether they are personally observant or not, want these basic issues to be determined according to traditional Jewish law. If you put together what are called the traditional Jews. With the um, with with those who are actually orthodox or ultra orthodox, you um, you get close to eighty percent of the population, if not more. So that that's that's so that's perfectly that's 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 a democratic issue, and that's been our determination. And yeah, you know, the truth of the matter is that whereas I certainly have no objection, no objection. Why would I object? The um, you know if you want to have other kinds of synagogues and pray however you want. I go back to I go back to a wonderful book that was written by a colleague of mine, whose name was Professor Lauren Schiffman at uh, NYU, New York University, and Larry has a book. A book was called Who? Oh boy, I know I got confused. It was called Who Was a Jew? I, there was a, a professor at um, there was a professor at uh, Ben Gurion, also a tremendous uh, scholar, Jerry Blitzstein, may rest in peace, who uh, wrote a book, wrote an article called Who Was Not a Jew. No, but the, this book is called Who Is a Jew who was a Jew, and he, he noted something really striking. He proved, to, the, to my satisfaction anyways, that um, 
we all know that the time of in the time of Jesus in the time of Second Temple, the Jewish community was divided into four major, very militant groups. There were the Pharisees, there were the Sadducees, there were the Essenes, and then there was everybody else. We don't talk about the everybody else, but the everybody else was also than everybody right? else, right and, right? and you know what? And they fought about everything under the sun, but they never. We have no record or hint of a record that they ever fought over the question of who's a Jew. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very profound, uh, I think that was a very profound insight. When it comes to how the people met, how they, how they express themselves Jewishly, right. I would say there was a lot of, there wasn't, it wasn't a lot of uh, inclusiveness, but you know, you would argue and fight, whatever. <laughs> but nobody thing. denied the other one was Jewish. Right. That's, that, I think that's a model that I could, uh, that, I, that I could certainly um, live with. Certainly when I see that, that the, as I said, the existential question of self of Jewish of Jewish self definition is uh, is, um, is is I think is far more important. But if this other legislation happens, if Matan Kahana's legislation doesn't go through, and we don't have the orthodox the rabbis in the in the towns being able to convert, according as you said so really eloquently, because they know the people. And they understand the stories and they see what's going on and not to mention the technical log jam that will be broken. The alternative here is that within a few years and it's already happening now, look, I just, I mean, I just finished my degree at Bar-Ilan University where you teach and um, one really nice guy in one of my classes, we studied together and I'd mentioned that my husband and I had gone to Cyprus and he said, I got married in Cyprus because he's tech, he's, he's from Russian family. He's technically not Jewish. He married an Israeli girl. They had to get married in Cyprus because, as you said before, and I don't know if you want to take a minute to expand on that, there's no civil marriage in Israel. Do you think that that would be a a solution here to not have every marriage go through the rabbi or that just makes the situation worse? You know what I, you know, the rabbis have an expression that um, that prophecy once uh, the last prophets, Haggai Zechariah Malachi died. Prophecy, um, prophecy was uh, most people went over to crazy people. So I don't. I hope I'm not a crazy person. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's going to be. Why you could, if you, if you are, uh, I tend to be somewhat less of an optimist. If you, um, I can see a situation in which uh, the fissure within the body politic of the Jewish people could become could get to such a degree that it could actually hurt our ability to be able to uh, withstand pressures from the outside. This and existential pressure. Exactly right. So that that's what um, that's on the one hand. On the other hand, oh. uh, and by the way, what would come with that is something which I really would not want to see happen, but it may. Um, even people who are more moderate are going to have to start keeping records of who's really Jewish and who's not, uh, which is not something which I think anybody uh, anybody really wants. Mm-hmm. Um, well, your kid comes home. You have to do start doing a background check on their family. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, we, I mean, when people come on Aliyah and they whatever, they have to prove that they're Jewish also. But, but it's not the same kind of. It's not the same mm-hmm. kind. Of. Um, on the other hand, you know, if I want to be, uh, if I want to be optimistic, I can say, well, you know, there'll always be a certain amount of intermarriage, and there'll be always a certain amount of people like this. But given the fact that the country is becoming increasingly, increasingly Jewish then converting might become more and more bantan. There might be a greater, uh, an ever greater de- demand for it. Um, and uh, as a result, it might very well be that uh, further down the line, further down the line, uh, perhaps we'll be in a situation where uh, where uh, such an initiative could go through. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm, 
this country, people in this country have a tendency to, to dig in, you know, sort of like dig themselves into their positions and not, and not move. So I, I really don't know what, to, I really don't know what to say, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm concerned. It's one of the reasons why I, I chose to take the step and uh, finally put my money where my mouth was and to serve on, uh, they're not unaffiliated, they're recognized, but unofficial uh, Jewish, uh, you know, a, a conversion courts uh, for an organization called Yurka Halacha. I am perfectly satisfied with the integrity of every single person or couple that comes through, uh, that came before, has come before us. Um, it's not a, we're not talking about any kind of, there's no, this is not a, any kind of, what's the word, um, assembly line of, uh, you know, just plow, you know, plow through people through. Yeah. It's yeah. very, people stay, they study and whatever, and for whatever reasons they don't go to the, uh, to the Rabbanut. I see the standards are uh, certainly perfectly acceptable. The standards in some cases are better than cases than standards elsewhere in uh, elsewhere in the Jewish world. And yours is accepted? I mean, by the way it's you're accepted. doing? We are accepted um, for purposes of uh, Aliyah, not recognized but by not the... For... Not, purpose, not, by rec- not, not for purposes of the Rabbanut. By the way, a lot of this is anti-establishmentism in the sense that in the sense that there are uh, even people, even two, you know, born Jews, many of them will not go to marry in the, it's against the law, but will not marry in the, uh, with the, you know, in the rabbinate, but will insist on having an Orthodox rabbi and two witnesses and, 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 and a marriage camp and a canopy and everything else. They just don't want to be part of this, this, this apparatus. Right. Um, and well, that's and, what people say that institutionalized Judaism is turning people off to the beauty of what Judaism really is, because it just becomes a set of rules. And no, you can't. And people who are interested in Judaism and the incredible way of life that we know that it offers, who might have run to some ashram in India and someone said to them, you know, it might be right under your feet. That's the whole point. The yeah. people are returning. The, the thing is that you see, the thing is that the. Um, but you don't. You don't want. But you don't want to have total anarchy either. Um, right. Uh, you, you see, one of the things that, for example, uh, divorce is also part of the is also involved in the rabbinate, and there are right. cases. You know, all kind. I'm not going to get. Let's not get into women that can't get it. Can't get a. Can't yeah. have trouble and getting. And moms they root, and there's all kinds of issues. Right. That come so, yes. so you know, it a, a, a lot of this. So wildcat, wildcat rabbinical courts is also, you know, mm-hmm. carefully. Dangerous. So the idea, the, the truth of the matter is, a friend of mine um, has offered, and I think he's, it's a, not a bad idea, that the the rabbinut should be re- transformed in something of a regulatory agency. Uh, let's take the example of kashrut, for example. Rather than having the rabbinate be in charge of all kashrut, uh, bring in competition, but um, but well, that's you know, what they're starting let, to you know, do let now. The basic standards yeah. be set, and then you decide and let the comp- competition let the competition mm-hmm. go. Out so everybody, you know, I. When they say, "Oh, it'll be like in America," you know, it's, one of the great things about you know kashrut in America is that yeah, there are a lot of competing uh, right. kosher supervisions, so and okay, and, and they yeah. end up making them better. Competition mm-hmm. actually is a plus here because you got to you got to fight for if you got to fight for your customers, and and um, and you and yeah. you, you don't necessarily lower standards uh, mm-hmm. by for doing that. So if you already mentioned the United States, we have a question here from Stephen Gilbert. What about the intrusion of American Jewish sentiments into the Israeli dialogue? How material is this source of divisiveness? I assume he's speaking about the reform and the conservative and, and a lot of the different movements. I mean, I don't want to get into it because it's a whole other webinar. You know, the Women of the Wall and Robinson's Arch and the Prayers and a lot, well, of, not, it's, it's a lot of that. It's deeper yeah. than that. 
it's it's deeper than that what's what's um uh this is something i'm also very much involved in um not not in any official capacity but in the the cultural wars uh, the 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 waves of the cultural wars in america are beating at the shores of israel and they they pop up in tel aviv and at the universities and they and things come up in the on uh, on tv and radio um mm-hmm. the the idea there is a very profound disconnect between the way the average Israeli views himself as a Jew and the way the average American might view himself as a Jew. Um, in America, especially because of the way that the consumer reform movement have uh, developed and beyond and other things, um, as with all of identity politics, you are whatever you decide you declare to be because the absolute autonomy of the individual is what is sacred. Uh, the idea of the collective and that the people have a right to impose their view or their idea on somebody else is um, is an anathema. Here, we are still very, and maybe much more so, we are still very tribal. We are still very much a collective. We do, we, we sacrifice for the greater good. It might not be as much as it was uh, 30, 40 years ago, but it's still a very, very big, big deal. Everybody, this, this, unfortunately, it usually comes out only in uh, when there's a war. But uh, or there's bad things happening, but the kind of togetherness is just it's it's awesome, and therefore the idea is I can declare that I'm Jewish, and that's it, um, or that uh, or that everything goes is not a is not is is not an option in Israel in the Israeli in the Israeli uh, vocabulary. Generally speaking, I'm not talking right. about again. Right. There were exceptions, and certainly in the uh, among the literati in uh, in Tel Aviv and elsewhere, you'll find you'll find people like that. So, um, so yeah, it's beginning to make that kind of thing is beginning to make inroads. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other movements, look, and I understand the problem. With the other movements, they want to be involved and they want to be represented here. Um, but I, on this question, let me just I'm talking about this question. I don't think. Um, I don't think uh, they have a right to. Uh, I don't think it's it's proper to um, to score ideological points on my back or the back of my children. Okay. I'm, I'm going to be very clear about that. There, another question from Juliet. Oh, hi, Juliet. Um, Shavay Israel offers conversion classes in English for Jews from lost cultures. I assume she's talking about like the Bnei Menashe from Yampur, to some degree maybe also the Ethiopian Jews. Um, do you think that's appropriate? I mean, so you know, I assuming that they're the um, Shave Israel offers conversion classes in, in English for Jews from lost cultures. Is this appropriate? Okay. Oh, that wouldn't be. I don't know why how English would fit into there because that's not their native language. I'm not really. Well, sure look at I, I know my my wife works in uh, in Kiryat Arba, and um, a lot of the Benjamin Nasheh from India are there. These are very religious people. I mean, they convert. They do all they. I mean, I, I, there's no the ones I know at least are not. There's no, there's no issue. Uh, mm-hmm. I see though that my friend Rachel Sobeski was was. Uh, yes, they, I was they, just going to say. I'm a little bit too one sided. Okay, so I want to explain Rachel Sobeski. I hope you're doing well, Rachel. I haven't seen you in a long time. I found it very disappointing that you had one side without a rabbi who was against Kahana's conversion plan, as I am. Totally legitimate comment. This was not going to be a debate between rabbis, though. It was never intended but to no, be. But it's, it's fair to, it's fair to, it's fair to. It's be very fair. It's is, very fair. I'm happy to do another webinar with the rabbi who's against it. Okay. I mean, but I'm willing to say yeah. that the concern is that once you, once you let the control out of the hands of the chief rabbinate, it'll become total anarchy. 
And there are and there are people who say that they'll that they, what'll happen is they'll there'll be uh, wildcat uh, bate din that are set up to convert uh, uh, illegal immigrants in uh, southern Tel Aviv, and that well, people will be paid. I mean, to, you know, right. bribed right. in order no, to. No, and that's a concern. I, I, there's no, the, and I know for a fact that realm. this. I right. know that's why this rule. That's why the law has no halachic content. It's all administrative. Because the only people who would be allowed to to appoint Bateidin and they would be directly responsible for them are city rabbis. No, I mean, for example, so Giorka Halacha, which I'm part of, would go out of business, the way the way I understand it, anyways. You know, which, mm-hmm. you, the only courts would be, and 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 of the few city rabbis who, uh, to the best of my knowledge, would be involved, these are people of of absolutely un 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 uh, unquestionable in, in integrity. Mm-hmm. Okay, but it was a good comment, and uh, this is definitely not something that everybody agrees on, not at all, and we don't even know if it's going to end up passing. But the purpose of tonight's webinar was, and I said it at the very beginning, was not even necessarily to give answers, was to present the issue, which has been in the headlines a lot, and I know that a lot of people are just confused about what's happening here, and to try and just minimize a little bit of that confusion, and I hope that we were able to do that, and I know that uh, that I mean, I couldn't say any better, as I said, than, um, than, than Rabbi Wolf to be able to really lay out some of the history and some of the differences with the other religions and what the issue is here. And, but we really don't know what's going to be, um, but, but that it's, that it's a, ma- a problem of major concern that I think everybody can agree on and that some solution needs to be found. By the way, I should add our hope. that I, I, you know, one of the things, one of the things about being in the middle is you do the one thing that you abs if that it, that they teach you in the army you're never supposed to do, and that is you never fight a two front war, because if mm-hmm. you fight a fight a two front war you're going to lose because they're going to just wear you down. So I have to I have to um, I have to I, I like to balance what I said before by saying that on the other side of the of the of the of the discussion is a very very loud and very very powerful lobby in the concerned Jewish uh, elite of the, of the state of Israel who absolutely want to create conversion for purposes of marriage, which has no religious element to it at all. Wow. Okay. Okay. So in other words, so at the same the time, Jewish, trying, but it's at not the same time as I'm trying to, trying to make sure that Shulchan Aruch gets it is absolutely it's not and is not weakened down but just simply more people you know more people you sort of break the law the bureaucratic logjam you have fighting on the other side to say no under no circumstances can be the any kind of judaism as i said this combination of of you know what rav sajagon said in the 10th century that our nation is a nation by virtue of the torah and that cuts both ways it means that the torah is primary and it also mm-hmm. means that we have a national identity, and both of them are we have we are a nation, and we are and 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 that nation is determined by the covenant with God writ writ large. Um, so so you know everybody so everybody's right yelling. So on this side, what are we emphasizing more? We emphasizing more the uh, that the that the that that the way that the that the um, that the convert that uh, the, the way the conver- conversion is done should be um, should be one hundred twenty percent. I'm not talking about anything, mm-hmm. less than, anything less than 100%. And then the other hand, I got the guy saying, no, 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 50% is fine. 
Right. And 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 you're talking about people who who are um, on I'll say the left just for just for convenience. Uh, people on the left who are I mean they're wonderful people they're learned people generally they're very prominent academics and cultural people there's uh, there are some of these there is there are individuals that are involved I, I can't mention names because it's this one group that uh, that I've been arguing with <laughs> is hasn't gone public yet but um, you know so it's like. I I I I I, I sometimes when one of these one of these meetings I I I I come home or come home I leave this room and I walk two feet to go to my uh, to the other <laughs> living room Zoom. the way I yes. lived my life like I was in Rome two days ago right from sitting here right. um and and my wife said I'm exhausted and my wife said what do you need this for I said because I you know because the middle day the Rabbi Soloveitchik used to say and I'm not saying Khalila that he would have endorsed Matan Kahana I. I no way of knowing. Yeah, uh, we know way of knowing, and I, Khalila. But he once, when when he used to, he used to say that when you study Talmud, and there were three, um, there were three approaches to a given issue, and there were two extreme approaches, and there's one which seems to be somewhere in the middle. He said the the um, the it's always easier to understand and to interpret the extreme positions, but it's the middle position which is the one that's usually the most. Uh, the one most the one most reason the one most reasonable and, and the one that uh, we should decide by well i just i mean i want to thank you for your involvement i know that uh it had it hasn't added years to your life for sure but one but you but your commitment to judaism and to the torah way of life and to the jewish people i think was clear for all of us to see and whether one agrees with you or not I think we can all appreciate the tremendous effort that you're putting in really and with everything you do in order to try and square this circle. I mean, maybe there's no other way of putting it and, uh, you know, and, and seeing a bigger picture that this isn't just an issue of who is a Jew. This possibly really has existential ramifications. There are other religious issues that have to be faced, faced head on. And here I'm on a very, I mean, the, the, uh, I, I mentioned it in passing uh, and the, for me, the um, I mean, this is a, a critical issue, but the the whole the whole threat to the uh, to the dissolution of the family and the uh, and the destruction and 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 genderlessness and all this other stuff, which uh, is it ca it cannot be squared with Judaism, and which I think ultimately is corrosive, that has to be fought also, and and that and with that on that on those as as ironically as it might be on those issues, I'm uh, four square with. Uh, with the same people that I'm that that are criticizing me over the question of uh, of uh, of conversion. Well, I think that just makes you like an interesting person. You don't have to fit into <laughs> one you. little box. There was actually an article by Rav Chaim Navon also in Makori Shon the Shabbat that there's certain rabbis like I mean Rav Shlom, you know Shmuel Eliyahu of Tzfat who's come out very very strongly on the abuse, the sexual abuse. He was the, one of the Dayanim on this court last week. That's a whole other issue. But on other things, he has come out in ways, you know, against homosexuality and things that upset people who might have thought that he was just kind of going to be that take, all goes have to together. Take and okay. what, what the bottom it's line the of his article was, if you accept a rabbi for his honesty, you have to accept him. You might not, you might not agree with some things, but not with others. And that's perfectly that's true. And similar, but I would also add that, um, I would also add, look, at the I, I have one epistemology. And the epistemology is, as in my own, you know, my, you know, limited way, I judge it whether it's good for the Torah or it's bad for the Torah. If it's good for the Torah, it's probably good, it's good for the Jewish people as well. Um, the uh, and that means that you're not often not going to uh, 
you're going to take every single issue on an issue by issue basis and and not try to impose an ideological line on on and, and sort of like on any on, on any on in any you know in terms of how you react to, to challenges the um i am guided i try to be guided by thoreau uh that um that um you know the the a foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds you have to take every single issue per se judge it and you know, point it against your you know frame your axiological and epistemological framework and decide you know is good for the story perhaps that. that's what's been lost is that connection to the little people and understanding the nuances of every case and legal foshalinian as they say you know that each each thing has to be judged on the particular merits or what's happening in that particular sphere and not just one one idea for everybody and uh, that, I mean, that, that's what pulls me to Kahana's plan in, in that level of the rabbis who know the people that they're converting, um, because that's something that I think very often is missing, is that personal knowledge. But uh, anyway, okay, thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. Uh, wow, so many people stayed on for the whole time. Rabbi Wolf, you were really fascinating. Um, can, I, can I put your um, contact information out Absolutely. there? It, Okay, so thank you. I appreciate that. So if anybody has further questions um, for the rabbi, then he's, he's made himself available and I think he knows what he's getting himself into. Um, <laughs> anyway, thank you, everyone, really. Thank you so much. I know for some of you, it, you were squirming in your chairs. I was too at some point, but that's okay. We need to be able to come out of our comfort zones. You know, that's a thing with me um, and see different sides of things, even if at the end we don't agree. Um, and that's super important. And we will continue doing that on these webinars. I certainly hope so. Bringing interesting individuals who add to our knowledge um, and just make us think more about what's happening and, uh, and not be distracted by all the other noise that's out there. These, these things are too important. These things having to do with Israel and Judaism are just too important to be distracted from. So Eve Harrow, um, director of Tourism, one day again, tourism and community development for an Israel Fund, really, and with thanks to Shauna for behind the scenes and to an Israel Fund for sponsoring these webinars. Um, thank you, everybody, and I hope to see you back in just a few weeks. And wherever you are, just stay away from viral bearing people. And if you're sick, get well soon. And the world should go back to some, whatever. I, I don't even remember what normal was anymore. Okay, take care, everybody, and goodbye for now. Hey everybody, this is Jeremy Gimpel. Have you heard about the Land of Israel Fellowship? People from all over the world, 24 countries, have joined. We meet live every Sunday, and the video session is recorded and then broadcast to all the members. And it's an exclusive group. It's a group that's focused on learning. We're focused on praying together. We're focused on growing together. And it has been one of the biggest blessings in my life. And we have people from New Zealand to Australia, Alaska, Hawaii, Hong Kong, Jews, Christians. We have a Buddhist. We have one Muslim that's joined. We have people from so many different backgrounds, languages, and cultures. And we are literally creating a virtual house of prayer for all nations. And it is truly marvelous. And so if you want more information about that, please visit www.thelandofisrael.com slash fellowship. And I would love to see you next Sunday.